I'm standing on Bloomsbury Street, but on Google Maps it's called Bedford Square. Inspecting the yellow London streets crisscrossing the small square screen of my Blackberry, I click Search Map. I type Bloomsbury Street. The search box suggests alternatives. Did you mean Bloomsbury Way or Bloomsbury Square? It asks. It wants to be helpful. It isn't. The blue dot blinks on a corner that is, from all evidence, not the one I'm on. I can't narrow the distance between where I am and where I need to be because I'm not where the map thinks I am. But what if I'm not where I think I am? Where am I? It's a smartphone-prompted existential crisis. Where has Oxford Street gone? Where has North gone? As I make turn after turn, the map on the phone and the streets before me diverge in a proliferation of nearly identical names. Bedford Square, Bedford Avenue, Bedford Court Mansions. This is why I'm now standing on Bloomsbury Bedford Street Square Way in a hyper-aware state of confusion. The slightest clue seems meaningful, but what it means, there's no way of knowing. I think of a famous 1922 talk Virginia Woolf gave to her friends in their memoir club, in which she asks, Where does Bloomsbury end? What is Bloomsbury? Does it, for instance, include Bedford Square? As far as I can tell, all of Bloomsbury is contained within Bedford Square, from which there is no escaping. This is a neighborhood I thought I knew. I've walked down Tottenham Court Road many, many times, but today I've encountered an unexpected amount of construction, and I'm thrown. They're building something very deep in the bowels of the city, and up here, on its skin, all the usual features are deformed. I may well have taken a left into downtown Beijing. I need to get to a conference in Senate House. I walk a little further in the direction I understand to be correct. Nothing familiar. I ask a construction worker if he knows Mallet Street. I assume, since he's reshaping the territory, he may have a sense of the map. Mallet, he asks. I spell it. He doesn't know. What is the name of the street we're on, I ask. He doesn't know. I gesture toward the end of the road where some kind of green area is visible. That over there, is that Russell Square? Why everyone ask me where is Russell, he replies. I thank him and leave him to his work. The conference begins in 10 minutes and I have to make a good impression. I'm a recently minted PhD, about to go in the job market, a daunting prospect in this economy, and I don't want to be the girl who comes in late on the first day. I cannot cause a disruption. Please let me just slip in. Why didn't I leave extra time or bring my A to Z? Why do I always get so fucking lost? On a whim or a hunch, I turn left and find myself directly in front of Senate House. Lauren, thank you so much for reading from your new book, thank Flaneurs. You. We are now on the very corner of Bedford Square, <laughs> where that chapter begins. Yeah. Should we have a walk? Yeah, sure. Let's do it. So we're going to walk up. We're going to follow the path that you, you take in your chapter okay. on Bloomsbury. <laughs> Um, now the word, am I getting this right? Flaneurs. Yes, yes, that's I'm right. I'm pronouncing that correctly. Yes. Now, listeners may well know the word flaneur, uh-huh. but you have taken that word and, and feminised it. I have, yes. And you've written this book, which is, which is all about, well, uh, why don't you explain a bit about what the book is about, really? Um, well, I, the, the idea for the book came to me a long time ago when I was really interested in the figure of the flaneur. I was um, just back in New York after doing my third year of university abroad in Paris um, and had to write a kind of senior project on a, on a topic of my choice. And I wanted to write about women walking in the city because I'd recently learned that there was a flaneur and I had you know, learned the, the fine art of sort of idly walking around Paris with nowhere in particular to be during that year that I spent there. Um, and so as I started researching the concept of the flaneur, or the, of the flaneurs, I came to realize that um, actually everyone was convinced that there was no such thing. 
as a as a flaneuse, as a female walker in the city, um, specifically because the flaneur is meant to be this figure of masculine leisure who sort of has nowhere in particular he needs to be. He has the you know enough money, I guess, to not have to have a job, mm. and he has that kind of masculine privilege of being able to walk anonymously in the city. Whereas women, um, at least in the 19th century, when the flaneur was kind of codified by by Baudelaire, um, women would sort of not have the freedom to walk with you know through the city by themselves with nowhere in particular to go. Now that struck me as kind of strange <laughs> because surely there were lots of women in the city and not all of them belonged to this kind of privileged upper class who had to maintain their you know their reputations and be chaperoned if they stepped out of the house plenty of women were going all kinds of places for work or for you know whatever reason um, and I didn't like the idea that the Fenners if she existed would have had to be a prostitute because prostitutes movements at least in Paris in the 19th century were like highly circumscribed there were mm. only certain places where you know a streetwalker could walk she had to wear a certain kind of clothing and she wouldn't have been at all invisible she would have very much you know stuck out as you know a girl of the streets so i thought well if if the the figure of the faneur himself is kind of this vague um mythology that that we sort of project our own desires to like step out of our lives and wander the streets of the city aimlessly taking it all in um, why can't there be a female version of this person who never you know who no one can sort of agree on who he was so if, if we can't agree on who a flaneur is then we certainly can't say there can be no flaneurs because mm. you know that's basing that's a negation of a negation so I thought <laughs> you know there have always been women in cities what have they been doing how have cities been sort of inspiring to women um, and like, what might this Flanners consist of? So as I started researching um, and coming across all of these these different women who I write about in the book, George Sand, Martha Gellhorn, Virginia Woolf, Jean Rhys, um, it became clear to me that, that these women writers and artists were using the city as a place to sort of break out of some kind of confines um, from which they'd been previously enclosed. So the Flanners became for me a kind of subversive figure, a radical figure, um, a way of for women to sort of claim their space in the city and claim the right to walk in the city, which is something that I think we're still, you know, working towards. I mean, there's, I, I talk about the kind of um, tension between wanting to be anonymous in the city and, and you know, wanting to, like, sort of be seen um, that women experience. It's do we want to be anonymous or do we want to be sort of acknowledged? Mm. The Flanders has been kind of written out of um, literary history, I think, because our history of seeing the city is um, comes from a like masculine perspective. You have this long history from, you know, Thomas de Quincey to Baudelaire to, you know, the, the 20th century writers on the city, the situationists, the new British situationists, you know, who sometimes are called psychogeographers, Will Selfie and Sinclair, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And they all write about each other, <laughs> you know, in the broadsheets. Um, and in their books, they go walking together, and there's never any mention of a woman. And mm. Will Self actually says in his book Psychogeography that it's a man's job, and that women are too, you know, too too pragmatic and smart to want to walk, you know, aimlessly through throughout the city. And it's like, well, and then he was offered a chance to recant that um, in The Believer a couple of years later, and he was like, no, I still firmly believe that psychogeography is a man's job. It's like. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I disagree. Yeah, well, I mean, we've on our short walk, we found mm-hmm. ourselves at the Senate House, mm-hmm. which is where you were trying to find... Yeah, the, yeah, it's right over there. There it is, right, right yeah. there. It is yeah. just That's there, it. up in front of us, yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's interesting what you're saying there about, about the, 
this, this idea that a woman can't do this idle wandering. Mm-hmm. I mean, actually, I think that all of us today, mm-hmm. men and women, aren't very good at the idea of an idle walk mm. through town. I was saying to you earlier that mm-hmm. I used to walk along here all the time on my way to work. But I, I head down, same journey every day. I didn't really look around. I certainly wasn't doing it idly. Mm-hmm. And people don't tend to wonder. Mm-hmm. Is there something different about what happens to your brain and your mm-hmm. thoughts if you give yourself the chance to, mm. to wander aimlessly? Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I think 100% you, if, you, if you suddenly um, begin to sort of notice where you are and, and notice small details, eccentric details, quirky things that kind of stand out to you, I think that starts to reroute your synapses in, in a really surprising way and can lead you to, you know, think thoughts that you literally would not have thought if you had stuck to your sort of path between A and B that you sort of trace all the time. That can become very rote um, and really uninspiring and, and boring. And I think, you know, it's important to sort of key into environment and, and try to connect with it um, somehow, but also to try to understand the ways in which the environments that we live in are shaped for us mm. by forces that we have no control over um, and to sort of begin to feel responsible for the, the sort of creation or, or maintenance of a certain kind of feel in the city. So there are things that we can do um, to make cities feel safer for women or for elderly people or for anyone who feels marginalized and you know unwelcome on the city streets for whatever reason male or female you mentioned there about feeling safe and there's in the epilogue to your book there is a, a famous photograph mm-hmm. taken by is it ruth orkin yes that right? yeah. yeah and in, in this photograph uh, which if you are listening you can probably google and mm-hmm. find there is a woman walking down the street and she appears to be being mm-hmm. harassed by mm-hmm. by various men in the street it's filled with narrative that photograph mm-hmm. and when i saw it i was very much reminded of there was a film that sort of went viral recently mm-hmm. online of a woman filming her journey walking mm-hmm. through New York right. and you just saw how many times she was harassed by mm-hmm. men walking past her but as you point out in your book mm-hmm. in actual fact in that photograph it, they were having a lovely time mm-hmm. both the, the woman in the photograph and the woman photographing mm-hmm. her um, but there is still this element isn't there that a woman mm-hmm. can't just walk through London necessarily mm-hmm. and feel safe mm-hmm. um, is it difficult for men to sometimes understand what that feels like mm. to feel constantly under threat um, yeah, I guess I, I don't know what how it feels <laughs> for, for men. I have no idea what that must be like. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think the, that photo is so interesting because it, it shows that to be a figure in the city who, who stands out, whether you're a man or a woman, um, it can go either way. Like you can sort of give in to feeling persecuted or oppressed or, or whatever um, or as these women did it for the photograph you can just sort of enjoy it and you know lark about and, and have a very nice time you could take a kind of uncomfortable situation and make it a declaration of independence that isn't always possible I mean I think in this particular instance of that photograph like they were lucky that no one was actually trying to you know actually touch them I mean the number of times that I've been molested on city streets <laughs> That got cut from the book, but it took up a right. couple of pages. Yeah, and my stories and my friends' stories. Um, and you can't, you, you have to sort of keep your head down sometimes and not make trouble and, you know. So what we could do is actually we can walk up from here mm-hmm. to Tavistock Square, mm-hmm. where there is that famous bust of mm. Virginia Woolf that you there? mentioned. Did they take it down? Oh, it's definitely still there. Okay. Let's have a little walk. Let's go and visit. Okay, Lauren, here we are in Tavistock Square. We are stood in front of this bust of Virginia Woolf. 
mm. uh, which you were just telling me was put up when you were here in London. Yes, yeah, it was here. It's, there's a little plaque on it. It says this memorial was erected by the Virginia Woolf Society of Great Britain, 26 June 2004. And yeah, I was here for that. There was a conference um, to commemorate the 100th anniversary of her move to Bloomsbury from Kensington um, with her siblings. And yeah, I was I was like a baby graduate student and very overwhelmed and you know not giving a paper, but. Yeah, this, I, I discovered this bust on that trip and didn't realize that it would, had been put here by that group because that plaque wasn't there yet. Um, and was like, that is just the most horrifying, <laughs> horrifying <laughs> memorial to anyone. We're not massive fans of this bust, are no. we? She looks oh, ghostly God. or sort of possessed. And exactly. also we've discovered there's quite a lot of insects making their home yeah. in and around her. And in her mouth. Which is slightly disturbing. Yeah. But anyway, Virginia Woolf, of course, was... was you know, the, is the famous resident of Bloomsbury, but also a very famous walker. You know, she talks about this thing about walking in the streets. Yeah. What What did you discover through, through your research about her when you were doing the book? Um, it was more pulling together lots of bits and pieces of, of stuff that I'd come across over the years of, you know, researching and writing on Wolf. But um, I did remember feeling surprised by just how affected she was by the destruction of London during the Second World, the very beginning of the Second World War, because obviously mm. she killed herself in um, March of 1941, so only a little ways into the war. But she was really kind of desperate, writing letters to, to Ethel Smith, or Smythe, depending on how you want to say it, um, about how it was just her heart was breaking because of the destruction to London. And um, I think I knew that Wolf loved London, and, and when I was here in 2004, you know, I was still a baby Wolf scholar, so I was just, you know, just getting to grips with like Mrs. Dalloway and Street Haunting and um, the years and all of the great novels that she set here. Um, but yeah, I mean, the thing that that I like to think of when I come to this, like Bloomsbury and specifically Tavistock Square, is that she actually had the idea to write to the lighthouse while she was walking across the square one day. She was just out for her, you know, daily perambulation. Um, and was right here when she just she the, the idea the whole thing the shape of it the sort of first and third parts being longer and the second part being the sort of connecting thing in the middle um, she just had had a sense for who she was going to write about and how it was going to go just walking in this park mm. I mean maybe maybe you and I today walking in this park will have like brainstorms for our masterpieces I love that idea <laughs> that, 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 that you know inspiration is going to strike yeah, I, exactly. I feel bad actually making you walk so much so maybe we should, if we walk across the park. Maybe inspiration will yeah, strike, maybe. and we'll find somewhere we'll to see it. We'll jump out from the violets. <laughs> well, you know, but you know what? Actually, it's interesting <laughs> you say that. <laughs> in my, you know, in my past when I was uh, acting, I used to walk in order to learn lines, mm. oh, and in order to find a character, because yeah. only through really? the ability to sort of walk and keep saying the lines again and again and again yeah. would I sort of have the time and the sort of I don't know there's something about being active when you're doing that that yeah. makes you discover something yeah. of course it means that you look completely insane as you <laughs> walk talking to yourself in strange voices but no I found it really helpful creatively um, I, wanted, I wanted to ask you actually about your book because you take us in your book through Paris London New York Japan I mean, mm -hmm. it's all going on yeah. and I just wondered if there was a difference to the way that you walk in those different cities oh, do you sure. experience them differently yeah, yeah sit on this bench let's, let's take a seat for inspiration <laughs> um yeah well i mean uh, my experience of uh, paris is sort of like the the my preferred city to walk in because it's 
just so lovely and manageable and you can get end to end though I've never like walked end to end in one day but you could if you wanted to pretty easily and it's just a pleasure the experience of walking in the streets in Paris is just I don't know it it, it gets me on a really deep heart level um, New York I'm speaking specifically about Manhattan because that's where I lived when I was in New York for a long time um, one day I walked from the east side to the west side across like 33rd Street or some, something random like that and it was arduous it was just an odyssey it didn't take that long because it's you know a skinny island but mm. um, it just was not fun I was exhausted by the end of it I was like you know schwitzing and like just really really unhappy <laughs> to use a very New York word um, and and then London I sometimes feel overwhelmed by how big it is and I definitely don't do enough sort of flanosing in London. I think when I walk in London, I'm generally going from point A to point B, and I'm I'm not opening myself up to the city um, the way I do in other places. But I'm I have a kind of like a fondness for London and and kind of willingness to sort of relax a bit more here and and I don't know try to get myself in the same kind of key or some sort of rhythm as London. It hasn't really happened. Um, Tokyo is very hard to walk in um, because it's just like there are all these flyovers everywhere like you're always climbing up and down stairs to get across the street and just lots of big highways and um, I took the the tube a lot but you know the, the way that I approached Tokyo as if it were a city like New York or, or Paris was just all wrong as I realized by the end of my time there that you really have to be looking up all the time and seeing what's kind of up a flight of stairs that you wouldn't have thought to go up because I'm, I'm kind of timid I think maybe the flimsing is a way of um, compensating for that so I you know when I first moved to New York I'd be very nervous about like walking into a new store because I didn't want the people who worked there to look at me and be like what do you want <laughs> <laughs> account for yourself and so I, in Tokyo I think I wanted to just kind of slip into places and slip out of them I didn't want to be walking up and down staircases looking for a thing that felt like I was doing too much you know too much work or over investing or something but no I mean that ended up being the only way that I would find my way to like interesting bars and cafes and things is just like out of curiosity, like taking an elevator. So yeah, and then Venice, of course. I mean, that's that's its own thing. Like Venice, it it's very hard not to get extremely metaphorical about Venice when you're walking around. <laughs> like the whole city's a metaphor, um, or like a thousand different metaphors. And so there's there were so many scenarios where I was trying to get somewhere and getting lost because obviously I have a really bad sense of direction um, but I would end up like at a dead end and be like oh it's a metaphor for my life my life just keeps <laughs> dead ending I can't even get like from one place to another in this city like what am I doing with my life and I hate as a New Yorker I like to keep going forward you know in Manhattan you can always kind of turn right turn left turn right turn left or, or like find your way back if you are down a street you don't want to be mm. um, it's very easy to just keep going forward make a right turn right turn right turn right turn and you're back where you started Whereas in Venice, <laughs> that's just not possible. I hated having to retrace my steps. Right. Um, like my, my mother, for instance, when she drives in her car on Long Island, she hates to be stuck in traffic. She mm. just needs to keep moving. She'll get off the highway if it's backed up and find, she's like the, the consummate like automobile flanners. She'll find another way to get wherever it is she wants to go, even if it takes longer to do that than to sit in traffic. She would rather be moving. Yeah, it's yeah. not about like getting there sooner. It's just about not sitting stuck in traffic. So we began with you sort of lost on Google Maps, and mm -hmm. we've now got your was it your sorry your grandmother, My mother. your mother, <laughs> yeah. who is sort of the human sat nav. Yeah, exactly. Find her, yeah, yeah she's, find her way. she's amazing. She doesn't need GPS. She just finds her way. 
amazing sense of direction. <laughs> I did not inherit it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's really interesting how you sort of the, the, uh, the sort of you know the, the spirit of the city mm-hmm. is something that you can experience so much better if you do walk it rather mm-hmm. than take any other form of transport. Um, and I have to say that reading your book, which I have loved doing, because it's a bit like being able to walk a city right. and learn loads of things, but without having to actually walk it. You can just <laughs> sit in the comfort of your chair. Yeah. I've learned so much. It's just filled with oh, facts that's so and nice. stuff. Um, so thank you for flanersing with me through London. Um, and I'll, I'll leave you to, to relax now. Great. And we'll wait for inspiration to strike us. <laughs> exactly. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you.